you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to ECF's Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Graham Loomer. And I'm Anna Alfonso. Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at Edmonton Community Foundation. These funds are carefully stewarded to generate money that supports charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. On this episode, we meet Eric Rice. Eric is one of our donors who recently created the Edmonton Affordable Housing Maintenance Fund. Yes, it's an endowment fund here at ECF that will support people experiencing housing and income insecurity. Eric has been involved in housing and homelessness in various ways over the years. It is a complex and overwhelming issue to approach. And the people experiencing homelessness are often met with stigma and judgment. With an issue this big, it's hard to know how we as individuals can make a difference. That's one reason Eric began his fund, and why he continues to be active with organizations that are working to end homelessness. Eric's Fund will launch on November 22nd at the film screening of Push, a new film from director Frederick Gurton. The event will be hosted by the Edmonton Coalition on Housing and Homelessness. The film looks at how rising housing prices all over the world are creating cities that are too expensive to live in. Our lovely producer, Lisa Pruden, sat down with Eric Rice to learn more about recognizing our connections to housing and what inspired his fund. Joining us today on the show is Eric Rice. He's one of our amazing donors, and Eric has recently established a fund called the Edmonton Affordable Housing Maintenance Fund. Thank you so much for being here, Eric. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on. Uh, like I said, my name is Eric Rice. I grew up around Edmonton, and uh, I'm too old to mention politely on the on the podcast, but um I just like to say a little bit and do a little bit of a shout out to the people who spend every day helping those who are homeless or who have income security because I've been involved in the periphery and I know a little bit about it, but there are people who dedicate their lives to helping those in need and I think they deserve the acclaim and the attention and not necessarily me. You're right. They are very hardworking and in a field that is physically and also emotionally very trying. So absolutely, shout out to those workers. Housing and homelessness is a huge issue. We are not going to dive into all of that today, but we are going to talk about your fund and the experience that you have um, from some of your volunteer work to give listeners that sense that I have learned from you in our previous conversations that individuals can make change. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's very true. And, um, I've been involved now for close to 10 years, I guess, and uh, my involvement has been peripheral, mostly in the communications side and and on the artistic side. I spent several years volunteering for Alberta Street News, which is a a newspaper distributed still in, in Edmonton, where people who need the extra income can purchase the paper for 70 cents or 80 cents a copy and then sell it for whatever they can get and it augments their income. So I've had the opportunity to talk to quite a few people who have experienced homelessness and I've learned a little bit about them that way. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned Alberta Street News because I was hoping you could share a little bit more about some of your um, experience and learnings with that. 
in doing Alberta Street News, of course, you are interviewing people with lived experience. Um, so yes, do you have any standout stories or any learnings you'd like to share with us? Well, I think most of what I learned was that um, the people who suffer from housing insecurity are just like everybody else. And uh, I was actually amazed by some of the individuals I met. Um, as an example, there were by the downtown farmer's market that used to be along 104th Street, the outside market. I interviewed one time a couple who were selling Alberta Street News, and they were living rough at the time without a place to live. But when I interviewed the gentleman, I found out that he had a an amazing memory for his life, like where where he was born, where they moved when he was six years old, where they moved when he was eight years old, where his dad had worked. All these facts that we kind of take for granted because we've got nice, tidy, nice, tidy offices and we perhaps have photo albums or whatever. We have this memory accessible to us. People without a home don't have that quite often because they have to move around. If they do have a tent or something else, it can be taken away or thrown away. So I was amazed by his by his recall. It was, it was fascinating. The, I guess, resourcefulness and sense of community that uh, that some of the people have, you know, like the ability to to live rough. Those of us, again, who are comfortably housed, look at it and think, well, you know, they're sleeping on the sidewalk. But if you've ever had a really hard, rotten night's sleep, you know how hard it is to function the next day. And I can't imagine what it would be like to live like that and to have to sleep like that every night. I would be a, a walking wreck, you know, and we, so we quite often uh, look at people who are living rough and we quite often think poorly of them because they don't look that good. Perhaps they're not that coherent. And I learned that that is probably pretty standard for people who can't sleep or who are trying to sleep on a bench or the or up in the cold or somewhere else because sleep deprivation can have a real effect on us. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that because there is often that sense uh, that sense of that difference, that othering that we do of that's them over there and I'm me over here and often there's that judgment of uh, almost deservedness sometimes, like what decisions must they have made and we really don't make room for that compassion of maybe a life circumstance was just different from yours. Maybe the resources weren't there. There's another human being in front of us. We see someone who's looking rough and we stop there. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, uh, I think part of it is, is unconscious sometimes, you know, part of it's, it's, it's self-defense and, and things like that. But um, I think you're right. And I think that's very, sad in a way, and it speaks more to our limitations than it does to that individual's circumstances. Exactly. Yes, our own limitations. You had done a video series um, where you had people share their lived experience and then had actors give the monologue to take away that visual barrier that we sometimes have. Um, it was such an impactful series, and I, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that because I think it it does such a good job of showing us as the viewer where our own biases are. Yeah, so the the series, it was called This Is Where We Live. And it was uh, kind of an experiment on my part and with some with some colleagues. Uh, Don Buzek of Ground Zero Productions was a, a partner on it. And I wanted to 
basically do what you just said. I wanted to take away that immediate reaction that we have to people who are in rough shape. And I wanted their stories to come forth. And I wanted to be in a situation where I wasn't the one filtering what their stories were. So I interviewed seven individuals for about an hour each in and I went to them where they were with an audio equipment. And then we took the transcripts of those interviews and had them reviewed by people who didn't know them, but who had listened to the audio interview. And I just asked them to sort of highlight segments that they thought spoke to that person's character. And then I took those back and built monologue scripts based on their suggestions and then went back again to the interviewees, to the people on the street and said, here's your words. Here's what we want to create a monologue from. Are you okay with it? And they read it through. They made whatever changes they wanted. And then we went back and hired actors to learn it mostly, not not necessarily memorize it, but learn it very well and then deliver it to camera. And uh, it was it was powerful. It was powerful for me to watching it because I've always been suspicious of <laughs> the artistic sensibility of being able to filter anything. You know, and artists are great at that. Like, I'm going to interview somebody and then I'm going to make up a story about their life. And, and you know, it's being filtered. So I wanted to remove that as well and get the exact words of these people in the story that they wanted delivered by someone who could do it well and clearly. Mm -hmm. We have uh, a clip that we're going to play from that. Uh, and we'll just let that run now. I'd say I've been homeless 10 times in my life. I was first homeless when I was 12. Fell through the cracks in the system. And you keep falling into the cracks in the system. There's so many voices in the dark wanting to tell their story already. My last stint of homelessness was just two years ago. It was minus 40. My God, sleeping down in the LRT, you get, you get that cold air coming in from the tunnels. You've got the noise of the trains till 2 o'clock in the morning. Let them come stay out here. Let them come sleep with us on the ground. They'll see how it is. I ended up selling drugs to an undercover operator back in 98. Got four years in the penitentiary. I started coming onto the streets when I was 16 or 17 years old. I didn't think I'd live this long. There's lots of laughter down there. There's still violence, but you gotta make sure you don't cause it. Everything you give out comes back to you. That's karma. And I believe it. It is such an impactful series. I really encourage uh, listeners to go and check that out. We'll have the link in our show notes. I especially liked at the end uh, with the credits, uh, seeing the pictures of the people that you had talked with and spoke with. Yeah, it was a great experience, actually. There's, uh, there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good people. I also wanted to talk about some of your experience with the Edmonton Coalition on Housing. And you are a member, an individual member, which anyone can sign up to do and to be. And please do check it out. This is very cool. A very cool initiative. Yeah. Uh, the Edmonton Coalition on Housing and Homelessness, uh, ECHO for short, is a, a not-for-profit society. And they're a, an amazing group of volunteers. And, and sitting around the table on any given month when they have their monthly meetings will be representatives from most of the inner city agencies, most of the housing agencies, most of the people who work day-to-day -to, -day to help people with housing. 
And their main goal is to raise awareness about housing issues, to work and try to provide information to government bodies or other people who are interested in housing, and to advocate on behalf of housing. So just sitting in on their monthly meetings is a fantastic way to learn about things. They also have a, a memorial every year, which is downtown right across from City Hall, where they they try to gather information about how many people have died from homelessness during that year and then have a memorial service to to hopefully put their, their spirits at rest, those who have passed away from, from being on the street. And I could just encourage everyone to get involved. Yes, I'm really excited to hear more about the meetings in a moment because, of course, at the top we talked about that sense of what can an individual do? What is that individual change we can make? Because this issue, is this crisis is is so enormous. It is so complex. There are so many um, intersecting factors and a lot of it is systemic. A lot of it is institutional. So when we as individuals look at this monolith, it can be so discouraging. So how how does it feel for you when you're at that at that Zoom meeting or at that table listening to how the organizations um, and individuals in this city are approaching the problem. What 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 does that do for you? Well, I personally, it's just inspirational because, as I said at the top, there's people who who spend every day of their lives trying to help people who have housing insecurity, and the uh, the number of organizations and the number of people who are who are doing their best to help are, are tremendous. Like there's a lot, there's thousands of people in the city who are who are doing their best, and there's dozens of different organizations all approaching it from different viewpoints. Some are faith-based, some are, are municipal, some are provincial. It's all over the map. But there are there are a lot of people out there. And, and one of the most important things I learned, I guess, was that every easy solution has been thought of. And there is no easy solution. There is, you know, we could hope for suddenly money to rain down from the sky and millions upon millions to be invested into housing. But the challenge is, is that it'll take that and more on a continuous basis to make the situation better because it's been sort of left to sit for a long time. And the fact is, unfortunately, that through the financialization of housing, the situation has gotten worse and worse and worse for everybody. So we have a, we have a, it's a grim graphic if you want to see it that the cost of housing and rental has gone up at a if you want to see a line going up at 45 degrees or 50 degrees whereas the line of people's average incomes has has been more or less flat or a little bit raised so it's just a it's a mathematical certainty that housing is going to continue to be an issue unless there's substantial and continued government funding and that's a very important thing to consider with what we were talking about earlier with that while we sometimes pretend to ourselves that there's a difference from someone who is housed and someone who isn't, there really isn't. It really could be a paycheck to paycheck situation. It could be a family death. There are all sorts of life circumstances that come at you. Mm -hmm. So seeing how you've been so closely following this crisis for many years. Um, I think I'm understanding what inspired you to create this fund, but could you tell us the story of how the fund came to be? Well, um, I have a, a very generous relative who's uh, who was aware of the work I was doing with sort of communications and around the homeless community. And so 
they started giving me cash on sort of a regular basis, you know, $100 here, or $200 here and said, this is for the homeless. So I uh, spent quite a bit of time going for walks around Old Strathcona in some areas or downtown Edmonton and, and handing out $5 bills to whoever needed it or whoever asked for it. And uh, it struck me after doing that for several months that while these individual donations might have been welcomed by the people who needed a bit of cash or a bit of money, that it wasn't really going to help the situation overall. And I had known that in the back of my head, but I decided to do some more digging. So I chatted with some of the people that I know through the Edmonton Coalition on Housing and Homelessness and chatted with former Mayor Don Iveson and a gentleman named Jim Garnett, who sits on the ECHO board and has been a longtime advocate. And the the sense that I formed was that a lot of the charity that is focused on downtown and housing and homelessness is for organizations of people who help people after they're homeless. So it's for shelters. It's for trying to find them jobs. It's for clothing. It's for meals. And I knew from the people that I'd interviewed over time that that really there is a, a threshold and it's as you said that anyone can become homeless and it's a matter of a paycheck or a catastrophe that, that takes us out of our home and if we don't have those support systems families friends whatever that can help us out people end up homeless and there was a, a psychologist at the Bissell Center once that I was talking to and he said if if you weren't traumatized to become homeless after a week or two of being homeless you probably were and so the challenge of regaining stability after becoming homeless and living through some of the horrible living conditions that people have to put up with is so great that we need to keep people homed. <laughs> so a uh, long way around to say that I decided to take some of the money that was being uh, very generously offered and start a fund because this is one way that one person can make a difference. You know, there's a lot of housing agencies out there that are that do have housing. There's some very excellent community-run housing agencies that that provide housing for low-income individuals, but they're always short of funding um, because there's more individuals than there are houses, period. And they're always running into situations where they have units that they can't use because of maintenance. So I thought one good way of, of helping um, was to create a fund that would be accessible to sort of charitable not-for-profit groups that run affordable housing for low-income individuals. And that the beautiful thing about endowment funds is that it would be there forever. And I'd also like to say that uh, one of the good things about the Edmonton Community Foundation is that they offer something called a, an area of interest fund. What it means is that the, the proceeds from this fund every year will go into a, a pool that the Edmonton Community Foundation and a panel of their people they rely on can determine where to allocate it, but we made it sort of specific enough in the instructions that it it should go to organizations that are charities that are nonprofit that are helping low income people with with low income housing. And the the nice thing about this is that it's it's not subject to political changes. Governments are responsible for housing and responsible for ensuring the safety of the of the society, but funding for housing is always going to be affected by the practicality of competing priorities. So every government's going to be looking at their their electoral base and whatever the people want, 
that's where the money goes. And so the beautiful thing about an endowment fund like this is that it, it will always be here. It will always be generating returns. It will always be helping housing. So the fund will officially launch on November 22nd at the screening of PUSH. Um, and that's the new film that is looking at how cities are becoming too expensive for people to live in all over the world. How did you feel when Echo said they would allow you to promote your fund there? Uh, it was it was great. It was, a, it was a great sense of validation because, again, as uh, someone on the periphery, I kind of look in awe at the people who spend their lives trying to improve the situation and, and often doing it from organizations that don't have adequate funding and and so they're they're investing their heart and soul in it. So it was a very good feeling to know that this type of fund was was worthwhile, and that um, you know the people who are involved in the situation on a day to day basis thought it was worthwhile enough to try to support through their through their promotional vehicles and through their membership and things like that. That is wonderful. And once again, we are encouraging listeners to attend this event, see this film. We're going to play a clip from the trailer for you right now. You know, the first sign that you're going to have to leave your neighborhood is when vintage clothing shops show up. (laughs) Then the housing value is going to go up and then they're all going to get the push. In the greater Toronto area of the last 30 years, housing prices have increased by 425%. Then we start asking, who's going to live in cities? Who are cities for? If they want to raise the rent up to like $900 each. If it goes to $3,400, then I have to make at least $100,000 a year. I've seen the whole area change. They start buying up properties because it's a fantastic investment for them. When I hear people today saying it's gentrification, one reaction, an ironic reaction is, if only. It's much deeper than that. Gold is not a human right. Housing is. We need to reclaim the fundamental right to housing. I love that idea of housing being reclaimed as a basic human right. I'm so excited for this film to be discussing that. How are you feeling about it? Well, I think it's an interesting way of looking at things, and I I subscribe to it myself. But I think we live in an interesting society and interesting time and i think that the the focus on the self and growing the self and and working and achieving is valid but i think that that sometimes we forget that we're part of a community and that's what i have learned through this as well is that we're all entangled in this we cannot say any one of us we cannot say that our life is not connected to the people who suffer from poverty and homelessness. And and to give an example, the Canada Pension Plan invests in real estate investment trusts. So that is part of the financialization of housing. The fact that there are large financial organizations that are trying to make a return on profit from an investment in housing. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it's wrong or morally unjust or anything. It's it's right. It's how we all survive. But the fact is that we all benefit from it. You know, personally, I've had, I owned a house. Uh, I was able to sell it after five years and make a, a good profit on it because housing prices had increased so much that allowed me to buy a, a nicer house. I've had a, a property that I rented out for a year or two, and that helped me buy 
that house again. And there's many people who who maybe they have some houses that they purchased and they're renting out. That's their retirement income. Maybe they're renting out their basement to help pay their mortgage. So I think it's uh, it was very important for me to realize through all this process. And I hope that other people can think of this as well, is that we're all tangled up in this. And anytime something comes along through housing price increase that lifts us up, it also raises that threshold so that more people will fall below it and have the potential of becoming homeless. So I guess that's another reason I started the fund is I wanted to do my part if I could to create something that would help the overall situation. And I'm hoping that that everybody who realizes that their well-being is is tied to this society that we live in that is moving upward perhaps in some ways, but that the people at the bottom, we're tied to them, tighter than we even care to think sometimes, and we need to try to lift them up too. There are lots of ways we can make a difference, and we appreciate when our donors allow us to be part of their endeavors. In this episode, you heard an audio clip from Eric's video called This Is Where We Live. You can find the link to the full video in our show notes. You also heard a clip from the trailer of the film Push. We'll have the link to the film's website and full trailer. Push is a new film from director Frederick Gurton. It explores how rising housing prices are creating unlivable cities around the world. The Edmonton Coalition on Housing and Homelessness will be sharing a screening of Push on November 22nd at Metro Cinema Garneau Theatre. If you'd like to attend, tickets are available. We'll have that link in our show notes, too. While you're clicking through, be sure to check out our blog for more stories about people making change in our city. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for sharing your time with us. And thanks for all the things you do out there to help raise each other up. If you've got time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And visit us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some photos. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Graham Loomer. And Anna Alfonso. Until Until next time. The Well-Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. This episode was edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at BECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well-Endowed.